Hello everyone, welcome to That Food Podcast. My name's Stu and as always I'm joined by my good friend Matt. Matt, how are you doing this week? I'm good today, Stu. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Obviously, as we noted on social media, we're a couple of days behind on recording due to uh, scheduling conflict, but it has allowed me to delve into a few other lovely little experiments in the uh, in the kitchen this week. Um, have you been cooking much this week in your in your busy busy world you have at the moment? <laughs> not as much as I have been. Um, I am back to work and it is kind of full on now. Uh, I've also started a course. Um, at work this week as well so I am in uh, training to be a teacher technically so I'm doing my level three um, education and training course uh, which again I started this week so I've been doing a bit of coursework for that too managed to get my first assignment in yesterday so I'm proper geeking it out at the moment um, being the class nerd uh, we'll see how that <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts for. Um, but no, in terms of cooking, I haven't uh, done as much. But what has happened? We've had a bit of a turning point in terms of um, our approach to vegetarianism because we have talked about in the past how Amy and I are trying to um, use less meat in recipes and you know uh, be a bit more conscientious of that. And the big turning point. Uh, last weekend, we ordered a takeaway, so we thought we'd treat ourselves, and there's this um, Turkish restaurant in Hythe, which is a, a little town uh, near to where we live, uh, called Sunshine, if anyone wants to check out. Really good food, really good service, nice guys in there that work there. Um, and ordinarily, I certainly myself uh, would order a, a meat-based dish. Um, again, I am very much a habitual uh, carnivore and, you know, it's hard to kind of get out of that mode sometimes. Um, but I made the conscientious decision to kind of opt out of that this this time and we went for a full vegetarian um, uh, platter of dishes and it was lovely. Like, we, we didn't miss the meat. Um, we had, uh, just to give you a bit of an example of what we had, we had a halloumi wrap, so anything with halloumi in is always good, as we'll talk about later with our, our dish of the week. Uh, something called a imam baidi, uh, probably completely butchered that, but it's a, <laughs> uh, it's a aubergine dish um, with stuffed, uh, or stuffed with even onions, garlic, tomatoes, and simmered in olive oil. A few spices in there as well, I think, judging by the taste. And that was lovely too, um, which is weird. I'm not a massive aubergine fan, but I think when it's cooked into stuff and it's kind of, you know, I'm, I'm becoming a bit of a, a convert with aubergine, which is good because Amy loves it. So that's a, a plus there. Um, and um, also just like a hummus and bread on the side as well, which hummus, when it's done right, oh, so good um, uh, with like Turkish spiced bread too. So really, really nice. Um, again, didn't miss the meat. And then subsequent to that, we've been eating a lot of, um, well, all vegetarian dishes this week, actually. Everything we've had it hasn't contained meat. And I'm not uh, saying that I'm fully converted and I will have meat dishes for sure especially you know if it's for the sake of the podcast and you know I'm not um, I'm not going to cause issues Stu if you do invite me around for dinner one day <laughs> when you're allowed to I'm not going to refuse to eat something if you present me with a nice steak or something um, but, is that a hint? Um, <laughs> is that a request? <laughs> hint hint nudge nudge um, but yeah that's no, a bit of a turning point um, how about you guys what have you been cooking up? well it's um it's been quite a, a full-on uh, cook for, for for us, really. So we spent Sunday preparing our next date night uh, in New Orleans Spice Box from the Spicery, which I was very excited to do. We've 
we've been planning to do it for a while. We've had the box for um, probably about a month now and just haven't got round to doing it with time constraints because obviously as it's a lot of prep doing the starter main, does, uh, I want to enjoy my cooking. I don't want to feel pressured in doing it. So essentially from scratch we made... Um, I made my own pecan praline to go in ice cream. So I made my own pecan praline ice cream. I say I I made my own. What you had to do as part of the recipe is buy a tub of ice cream. After you've made your pecan praline, um, cut the tub of ice cream into five segments, put it back in the, the pot, but then just sandwich in layers and layers of this pecan praline, which was delicious. It was so nice. Um, our starter, we had blackened chicken, uh, with a corn salad with our homemade hot sauce with it, which was, I mean, it blew my mind how hot the hot sauce was, but not to the case it was unpleasant to eat. It was one of those hot sauces where you could definitely get the heat from it, but you didn't have the lingering after effect. You know, sometimes if you have really spicy things, that uh, you taste it for the rest of the edition the next three yeah, days. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I've had things before where it's just too hot to enjoy and i think you know obviously everyone has a slightly different tolerance level of heat um but yeah if it's too hot man it just ruins the whole the experience doesn't it i i never understood it when i was younger we'd always go out on a christmas eve for a curry me and a group of friends we'd go to um a place called the little raj in ashford in kent and we'd always go there as a christmas eve tradition some of the guys would just always go for the hottest curries and they never looked like they were enjoying it and i just don't understand the this macho need for completing uh, eating something that's disgusting. You know, it's, yeah. I've never understood. Food, especially if you're out having dinner, it should be an enjoyable experience. It should be something you savour and take your time and hopefully you remember those meals, the special meals. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like things that are too spicy, but Cajun spices, I think, have the right level of heat so you get the kick, but they don't linger for a prolonged period of time afterwards, which was, again, case in point with the main where it was a, a beautiful jambalaya with prawns. Um, oh, it was amazing. Salivating at the memory of this uh, <laughs> right now in the fact that all I want to do is is eat that. But but also, <laughs> um, I had delivery of my earthen wheat box. Uh, we mentioned this on the podcast. We obviously posted a discount code out on our social media platforms at that food pod across Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and I'm going to post the unboxing uh, a bit later on our social media platforms uh, mainly because I just did it off my phone on a quick whim didn't really look at the camera so it looks like I'm just distracted by it but <laughs> but there's lots of I, I, so go I ahead, go ahead. Good. no I, I did see a bit of a preview of this and I, I think I thought it was very good <laughs> shouldn't be so harsh on yourself mate <laughs> But it was it, it was wonderful. The only thing I'd mention about this earthen wheat box, if you're buying this with a view that you're going to have bread for your week or your fortnight, sometimes you do not get bread in it. So I didn't get essentially a traditional loaf in my box this time. Um, watch the unboxing, because obviously I don't want to spoil the, the content for you. But for what you pay and what you get and what you help for the environment without wastage, it was it was great. I, I was very, very happy with what we received. Um, I think a few of our listeners have taken advantage and sort of jumped on the um, on, on the earth and wheat train as well. So if you've got your box this week, let us know. Uh, send us a tweet. Send us a message on Facebook at that food pod. Just let us know how you got on with your earth and wheat box. Yeah, it, it's really good. And I've seen, uh, I've seen your unboxing and you get some really good stuff in there. 
Can I be slightly critical? I know it's not your company, but, but oh. I do have a, a slight point that I think would help improve their business. Uh, I think I'm going. I'm going to write down what I think you're about to okay. about to say. Yeah, and you've got you got it down. I've got it written down. So hit me with what you what you think is going to be what's similar to what I'm about to email them later this this weekend. Okay. So my only issue, I think it's a great idea. I really do. I think it's brilliant what they're doing. Um, it helps to save so much food waste, and that is fantastic. And not only that, but it also just generally creates more awareness of the issue. However, there is another issue that I'm very passionate about, and that is plastic. Exactly and... what I've written down. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just like to see maybe a different way of them wrapping their food. And I know it has to be wrapped and kept, um, what's the word, hygienic, etc. Um, but there are other ways to do it than using plastic. So that'd be my only kind of quibble, if you like, um, um, that they could perhaps improve on. So if you are thinking about emailing them, that would be, uh, be my input. That is exactly what I was going to say. So obviously, as you'll see in the unboxing, um, you get vast quantities of uh, bread-based products, which you can obviously freeze, use, etc. As you, as you go on. But each of these items is wrapped up in a plastic bag. And it's not the sort of plastic bag that you can reuse in a waste bin unless you've got very small bins. Um, so, as you said, it was my thought process that, yes, it's doing great things for food waste. But then I'm thinking I've got seven or eight now plastic bags that I've now got to either dispose of or alternatively try and find a supermarket that recycles plastic bags and reuses them. So, again, steps in the right direction. And as it's a new company, I'm sure as they build and they grow, hopefully these are the sorts of things they will continue to address. But it's interesting that we mentioned this because it's almost like we planned this without actually having a plan for the podcast. This segues really nicely into food in the news uh, this week. And I know that we've both said similar things to what I'm about to cover about our own personal experiences with shopping. Asda, take a bow. Because Asda are set to ban plastic packaging on fresh poultry products across Yay! its UK stores. I'm going to give that a little round of applause. That's amazing. Brilliant. So they basically they're going to switch to sustainable pouches to bag up fresh chicken range, reducing their plastic packaging by up to 50%. And the bosses at Asda think that it's expected to save 450 tonnes of plastic each year. Oh, that's fantastic. So... This has been a, a big kind of issue that I've had with uh, supermarkets, um, just on a personal preference, that they use so much plastic for these bits of meat. And what we have tried to do uh, more recently, if we are buying meat on the rare occasion that we do now, we go to our local butchers and we take our own tubs and they put it into the tub very kindly. Um, and we do it that way. But this opens up so much more opportunity to be able to save plastic. This is fantastic. Well done. Um, as then hopefully other supermarkets will follow suit yeah so they're starting um, in the next few weeks they're going to have the recycle friendly packaging when you buy chicken thighs in the coming weeks across its three uh, sorry 639 stores and the packaging is going to be expanded to the entire range by the midsummer including whole birds drumsticks legs diced breasts and mini fillets so I think that's amazing and because obviously Asda are committed to cutting out three billion pieces of plastic from its own brand products by 2025. And so far, it's scrapped 9,000 tons of plastic. Um, 
Earlier this year, they also vowed to ditch plastic bags of fruit and veg, leaving up to shoppers to bring their own or pay 30p for a reusable one. Obviously, that 30p is then obviously used in their sustainable projects as well. And Asda also launched its first pilot back in October, where they had refill stations for c where customers took in their containers for anything from pasta to Vimto. So I think it's oh, a wow. really good move uh, going forward. And as you said, hopefully Asda will be able to prove that this works, this is better for the environment. And also, thinking about it from um, a store standpoint, if you've got chicken breasts in pouches that will already fit in your, your refrigerator or freezer sections, you're going to be able to probably put more stock in. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. So um, you're going to save cost on staff time of continually going in, refilling... Yeah. shelves time and time again so they you're going to be increasing the efficiencies of your process as well so i think that's a really really you know a, a good thing so well done to us and hopefully other supermarkets are going to jump on board this idea i think it's a fantastic idea just going to cut in there quickly because there are independent and we should support independent shops that already provide this service where you can go in and you can top up your cereals or um even to the point of like washing up liquid and things like that into your existing bottles that you have or containers that you have. And whilst, yes, support independent shops that do this, it's really important for larger um, shops to do this for, this service for people because it's not always convenient for everyone to be able to get to uh, shops in the middle of town. And this is a really, really good way to open up to the masses and kind of get that into the public psyche of that's the direction that we need to move into um so i'm really happy about this and i will be um shopping in asda and uh taking advantage of these changes that they've made i think it's absolutely fantastic news and on on leaning that as well to other sort of what, what some of the other bigger supermarkets are doing as well i think we mentioned on um, a previous podcast tesco's have officially now stopped having the big plastic bag liners for their home deliveries or your click and collect orders. So you now have to package your own shopping or if they bring it to your door, it doesn't have these massive plastic sacks in them. And I've been looking, uh, again, it's a bit of a segue from the news for a second. One of my problems is when you go and pack your own shopping, obviously you've got these bags for life, which are great, but over time they will get a bit rickety, structurally, not overly sound. I bought some amazing... Um, fold up concertina shopping bags on ebay um a couple of weeks ago thinking i need to update these because obviously we'll keep these in the car and seriously it's the best purchase i've made i can now fit basically my entire week shopping into two of these bags they're sturdy i can lift them in and out of the car they've got two handles either side really good and you fold them down the back of your car and you're done i even use these to do sort of a, a boot fair at the weekend to store things in so again reducing plastic absolutely brilliant um Asda, again, have also featured... You know, it's almost like they should be paying me for sort of uh, the food <laughs> and news section because I didn't know, and this links to what you and Amy are doing with your, your vegetarian um, goals and aspirations. I didn't know that Asda in, have been trialling a vegan butcher's counter in their Watford branch. Uh, okay, that's blowing my mind. How does that work then? So obviously, you know, we've spoken in previous podcasts about sort of meat substitutes and how things are made to look like meat, taste like meat, but contain no meat whatsoever. And we've seen these in quite like little, again, nice niche independent companies finding their way into the vegan food market. Yeah. 
Well, so Asda have been trialling one, but recently there is a new player on the high street called Foe. And they are the first, uh, to my knowledge, uh, devoted UK vegan-only butchers. Okay. And are they... So they're independent, but they're in Asda stores, or is this? Uh, oh no, this is th- this is a completely. So this is only uh, you know because Asda have done a vegan butcher's counter, which is the first I'd ever heard of that in a in a large mainstream supermarket. But this is a company called Foe, and they opened their first uh, vegan butchers and delicatessens in Sherwood on the outskirts, right. you know, in in Nottingham. Yeah. Um, worst thing they did was they opened it on April Fool's Day. <laughs> and oh, everyone no. walked in going, this has to be a joke. <laughs> um, so, but it's things like this. So in their store, I will list the products that they sell in their vegan butchers. They have mince, brisket, ribs, chicken thighs, cured pastrami, salami, kebab meat, black pudding, quarter pounder burgers, and glazed pork belly, all of which are vegan. That's quite a uh, quite a wide variety as well, isn't it? Because you you get your sort of fake chickens and all that sort of stuff, but that's uh, that really stretches the uh, imagination on this one. That's good stuff. Now I'm always a little bit. And I've mentioned this in the past. I'm always a little bit uh, dubious about fake meats, just because of the, I mean, the process it goes through. I, I need to know more about this essentially because all these things that they've made. Um, what is the process? Is it overly processed? Is it just healthier for me to eat more vegetables rather than having fake meat or having you know seeds and pulses and things like that this is something that um maybe we can touch on in the future or maybe you already know i'm there's no real detail on what's actually in there so i think um they want to make sure so the european parliament in october obviously that was pre um pre leaving the eu officially um they wanted to make sure there was clear labelling on these products to make sure that people weren't being confused. They were actually tricking and being tricked and being into bought, it being into bought by meat products. Um, but yeah, I think it's something we need to look into in the future and actually the the practicalities of having these meat substitutes. But if you're interested in in faux, and uh, I believe it's their first vegan butcher to be opened outside of London, but it suggests by having a quick look at Company's House because uh, obviously being an accounting nerd by heart, I can obviously go and dig into these things. It looks like there are businesses opening in, in Brighton, in Barrie, and in, in, in Lancashire who are all going down this vegan butcher route. And I think with the the raise of awareness of the ec- environmental impact on eating meat, the health benefits of reducing red meat in your diet, I think... This isn't going to be just a fad. This isn't going to be like a summer thing in LA that people just suddenly go into sort of kale is the key thing in every single sort of everyone's smoothies or shakes. I think you know the rise of meat substitutes is going to be a very prominent thing. I mean, we see it in restaurants uh, pre-lockdown and pre-COVID. Historically, if you look five years ago, you'd go into a restaurant and you'd have one vegetarian option for a starter, one vegetarian option for the main. Now, you have a lot more diversity across that menu. And it's because people are actually thinking more about what they're eating and becoming a lot more health conscious as they go. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a change, uh, shift in people's interest in this, uh, only for the good, because there is many benefits to it. Not only is it um, 
beneficial to to animal welfare, but also your general health as well, um, which is you know important for everyone. Um, just one more question on this one: What how are you, how are you spelling foe? Is it just as you'd expect, or is it a funky spelling? Because um, everything's got to be spelled a little bit sort of different nowadays, isn't it? <laughs> to kind of attract attention. No, it's how you'd spell it: F A U X. Foe th- all the way. Lovely. I'm going to look them up after this. That sounds really interesting. And we'll finish off with a bit of a, well, obviously, legal news. We all want a bit of legal news. I feel like you need like a little um, theme tune going into this. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you've, uh, you've anyone of our listeners have been following the legal wranglings between Marks and Spencers and Aldi in... The oh. ca- the war of caterpillars. Yeah, this has been big, hasn't it, <laughs> on the um, on news sites and social media. Yeah, I mean, whoever is running the Aldi social media is is fantastic because a few days ago they tweeted out they tweeted to Marks and Spencers, um, <laughs> "Hey, Marks and Spencers, can Colin and Cuthbert be besties? <laughs> We're bringing back a limited edition Cuthbert." I want to donate profits to cancer charities, including your partners, Macmillan, and our partners, Teenage Cancer. Let's raise money for charity, not lawyers. And then they use the hashtag Caterpillars for Cancer. They then followed up. Morning, Tesco, Sainsbury's, Asda, Morrison's, Waitrose, um, and Co-op. Cuthbert needs help from Curly, Clyde, Cecil, Charlie, Morrison, Wiggles. All these caterpillars who look exactly the same as each other but aren't getting sued. And it said, caterpillars coming together to raise money for charity, not lawyers. Up for it? (laughs) Waitrose responded, Cecil is a caterpillar of the community. Count us in. (laughs) And so obviously a lot of the other supermarkets got involved. But then Marks and Spencers thought they were being funny, in my opinion, and responded, hey, Aldi, we love a charity idea. Colin's been a big fundraiser for years. Oh, shunning the historical charitable work of Colin the Caterpillar. And they just then go to, we just want you to use your own character. How about Kevin the Carrot? That's That idea is on us. We promise we won't do Keith. Alluding oh. to the carrot who features in the Aldi Christmas adverts. Now, I'm really hoping, so everyone started using the hashtag free Cuthbert. The Caterpillar, because obviously I assume they might have to do a cease and desist on Cuthbert the Caterpillar. I really hope the Aldi marketing team are going to base their Christmas advert around the captivity of Cuthbert the Caterpillar (laughs) and have all the other supermarket brands come and rescue him and they'll be like the evil Grinch Caterpillar that will be Colin the Caterpillar from M&S. It's like the new new Marvel saga, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) The the, uh, Caterpillar Avengers come together. (laughs) I, I will. Uh, it's probably better. Yeah, I'll save this one for an off air. But remind me after we finish recording, recording uh, to tell you a story how Colin the Caterpillar, in fairness, once saved me a lot of bother. But I, I'm not going to reveal it on the podcast because it will it potentially incriminate me hugely. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's very intriguing. I'll catch up with you after this, and we'll find out. <laughs> so before I get myself in any more hot water. We had a wonderful recipe of the week chosen by you on our on last week's podcast. We did. So, well, you say wonderful, but I'm interested to see how you got on with this because I know there's a few things in there that might not have been to your taste. But this week we had a quinoa 
Tuboule with British asparagus, hulumi and kale. And the reason I chose this one was because I was looking at ways to bring in the idea of buying vegetables and food seasonally. Um, so part of this recipe, as mentioned previously, was the asparagus. And I was looking to, um, again, highlight seasonality. And asparagus is in season now, uh, around April, May time, it comes into season. And I just thought it'd be a good opportunity to be able to talk about that side of the food industry as well. Um, so I'm just going to list some of the ingredients and then I'm going to get to the elephant in the room slightly. So um, it starts out with a vegetable stock you're using British asparagus. Um, again, try by British that's uh, been grown recently. Um, kale as well, uh, spring onions, uh, flat leaf parsley, a handful of radishes, again, you can buy uh, the kale and the radishes um, seasonally. And something not so local, um, 200 grams of pomegranate seeds, which I've got a nice little story about later. And there's also a dressing as well. So lemon, runny honey, garlic, Dijon mustard, olive oils, uh, olive oil even, um, and salt and pepper to make the dressing, which, um, Again, dressing we haven't touched on too much in the past, so I thought it'd be a fun one to make and try. And I'm a big fan of dressings. Now, something I didn't mention is uh, something that you're not a fan of. And I must admit, it did slip my mind when picking this recipe. And I'm very sorry for that, Stu. But quinoa was a part of this recipe, quite a big part of this recipe. So I'm interested to see how you got on with it. Well, I mean, as you said, like we've mentioned uh, when we did a pie club, uh, when we started looking at the ingredients on a pie, that they are always going to list the um, the key, the largest element of ingredient first. And the fact when this, uh, the first word of this recipe was quinoa, I thought, oh dear, I'm in trouble. I'm in big, big trouble. <laughs> I know. And... As soon as you said that, my heart sunk. I was like, oh no, I forgot he had a bit of an issue with quinoa. <laughs> well, as, as, uh, as we said on the previous podcast, it's, it's, not, it's not an issue. I, in fairness, like, there's literally no problem with quinoa. I think it's a fantastic grain. It's a really good substitute for lots of things. It provides you with key nutrients that you have. Unfortunately, I will always link it to the smell of the cooking quinoa to later that evening when I was then unwell. Again, nothing to do with eating quinoa. I can guarantee you no one's eaten quinoa and gone, that's what's made me sick. The quinoa <laughs> is what's made me sick. No, but I know what you mean. I've been there with, um, we've discussed in the past mushrooms as well. I had a bad experience with the smell of cooking mushrooms uh, as a kid, um, which made me um, feel ill afterwards. Um and I've always been the same since. Like, I can't get out of my head. It is a, an association thing. I will eat mushrooms, as you know. It's been part of many dishes that we've done in the past for the pod. Um, but, yeah, it's still in the back of my mind. Not a, not a big favourite of mine. However, um, how did you get on with the addition of quinoa? Couldn't do it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Started cooking. I'm so sorry. Started cooking. And just the smell, I was like, nope. This is making me feel <laughs> ill even just being here. So obviously, again, we made sure that we utilized said quinoa. So it wasn't wasted. Uh, other family members happily joined in. And also, um, as it was you know, fully cooked, some left out for the birds who quite enjoyed yeah. some quinoa. But I, I, 
I replaced quinoa for the full full meal with couscous. Oh, okay. No, it's a good alternative, isn't it? Um, I think we even mentioned that last week that could kind of be swapped out for that. Um, okay, okay, not okay. All right, fair enough. I'll let you off on this one. So, apart from the quinoa, let's talk about the ingredients. Did you have any issues getting hold of the ingredients? And I suppose most importantly. Were you able to get hold of the ingredients that had been grown locally uh, and were seasonal? Yes, because as you said, because kale, radishes and the asparagus are all seasonal, no problems getting hold of them. I'm a big fan of asparagus and I like making um, a, a summer greens paella, um, which is asparagus, green beans, broad beans, peas. It's a delicious dish to have. But sometimes, even though it's called a summer greens paella, I quite like it in the winter because it's, again, tasty, really good flavour. And you get to near a winter and it is difficult to source, especially British local asparagus. But as an asparagus fan, I was really, really happy with getting all this. My wife's not overly a fan of kale, but we, I have no problem with kale. Kale doesn't bother me as much as quinoa. And halloumi, radishes... Yes, please. All over it. I couldn't remember a time where I'd had pomegranate seeds. Um, so I don't know if this was... I'm a, I'm sure I've had them at some point, but I'm pretty sure it's the first time I've actually used them in cooking at home. So with the kale thing, I'm not uh, a big fan of kale, but this is actually really nice. I don't know if it's because it was fresh and seasonal and we've bought it out of season in the past and it's a bit bitter. Um, this is a lot nicer this time. So I'm going to put that down to it being seasonal and being fresher and being grown and picked at the right time of year for it to be at its best. Um, with the pomegranate, I was wondering about this for you specifically as well because it's fruit or like a sweet mixed with a savoury. How did you get on with that? It's. I mean, in fairness, it's not in a chocolate bar, so it's absolutely fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's a chocolate bar that you have issues with, if there's fruit and nut. In fairness, it's just fruit and nut. Fruit and chocolate, I have the issue with. <laughs> fruit fruit and savoury. Because it's the same thing, like you're, you might have grapes on a cheese board. So you're having sweet and savoury there, so that's fine. Putting fruit in cheese, that's a, that's a wrong one. Have fruit on the side, no problem. But fruit in cheese, don't, don't waste your time. But having the sweet of the pomegranate with the halloumi, I thought having the sweet and salty worked really well together. Yeah, I really, I loved it. I thought it was really nice. Now, I, uh, I do have a slight confession this week. I didn't fully cook this dish by myself. And just to set a scene, I'm not looking for any sort of um, sympathy whatsoever, but I did find out that my, uh, my 100-year-old Nan isn't feeling too well at the moment. And I found out over the weekend when we were planning to cook this dish. And I must admit, on the Sunday evening, we were getting hungry and I was sort of dealing with that, um, talking to my sisters and things like that. So I wasn't fully engaged in cooking this, but I did have a very, very helpful um, assistant in the form of my lovely wife, Amy, who uh, got involved with this uh, this week. And she um, she helped with this recipe and she actually, and this is a big step for her, you know, obviously you guys don't know her, but she actually followed the recipe to a T because she thinks so much of us, uh, you and I, Stu, and also the podcast and the podcast listeners that she actually decided to follow this by uh, 
step by step because normally this is very much the sort of type that would um, just wing it essentially, kind of <laughs> gather the ingredients and just bung it all together and see what happens. Um, so I did have an assistant this week, um, but there is a funny story about the pomegranates because we weren't able to, um, so in autopilot mode, we would have bought the pomegranate seed in a plastic tub. Um, but actually that wasn't an option for us because the shop that we went into, which uh, we actually shopped in Lidl over the weekend, uh, we like to mix it up a bit, um, they only had the pomegranate fruit as a whole. Um, so we had to extract the pomegranates from the, the fruit itself. And this is a one of the jobs that Amy did. And she, um, have you ever tried to de-seed a pomegranate stew? <laughs> no, but I was suddenly thinking to myself, hmm, why, <laughs> why has Amy been left with the, the really unfortunate job of having to get really really hard work to get the seeds out of the pomegranate <laughs> well <laughs> um let me tell you why because she <laughs> oh dear she ended up almost <laughs> not literally but just i mean this jokingly she almost went blind with pom- pomegranate juice squirting into her <laughs> eye <laughs> and oh, she actually dear. had to run to the bathroom and wash out her eyes because all this pomegranate juice squirted up into her face went in her eyes and um, if you go into our kitchen today, you would see the evidence of where the pomegranate juice had squirted all over the walls as well. So there's little purple dots painted around, dotted around the, uh, the white walls that we have in the kitchen. Um, evidence of uh, quite a, sort of a funny little accident that happened over the weekend when we we're cooking this dish. I mean, t- two things to add to that. You know, I don't know why you're shopping in Lidl. They don't have a caterpillar. So they're steering away from any <laughs> form of legal issues. And, and it's funny you should mention assistant for this week because Leanne always says is there anything I can do to help with this and I always shout to go no it's not the purpose of the podcast if you cook dinner I just eat it it defeats the object how how was the recipe I don't know I ate it <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think in instances so it's like so when I cooked this on Sunday evening I got all of the prep done then I was going to come down and pan fry the halloumi after I'd put Harriet to bed because uh, unsurprisingly didn't bother trying this one on Harriet. <laughs> I didn't think a four-year-old would be too keen in this uh, this arena. So um, yeah, that's fair. It's quite a st- sophisticated sort of palette of food, isn't it? I guess, especially with the dressing. I think I could have got. She likes asparagus because it's green. I think she she doesn't mind that. I don't think she would have eaten the halloumi. But again, my wife said, "Oh, I'll do the halloumi." I was like, "No, do not do this." And also, as I said from my selfish standpoint, I think. Um, I, as I said about last week's dish, when, for lack of a better term, they were in the way and it didn't become a very enjoyable experience, it became quite stressful to try and juggle that and other things. It's a case of, I, I don't, I, I like to do this selfishly so I can uh, I can escape parenting. <laughs> so Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Uh, it's nice to have that moment to yourself in the kitchen, isn't it? And um, zone but- out, put some music on cook yeah but but more for me because it took me a long time to get harriet to bed and i was really hungry by the time i came downstairs so it would have been quite nice had i said yes of course cook the halloumi we've all cooked halloumi before <laughs> we know how to do it so obviously but again having to sort of pan fry the halloumi two minutes on each side it's not the end of the world to wait but i, I mean uh, I, I messaged you uh during the week that my wife thought something had gone wrong <laughs> with this that this dish looked very healthy and i enjoyed your response of well she eats cauliflower rice <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just thought it was a bit rich coming from someone who uh, who eats cauliflower rice on a regular basis. <laughs> so, but 
all in all, uh, making the dressing, I think, was my favourite part of this dish. Because, again, I'm someone who, I being a slightly pretentious human being, I enjoy balsamic and oil with my bread. So that that's normally my go-to thing. If I've got salads, I tend to just have a balsamic dressing if I have a, if I have any dressing on um on salads that I have. So I really enjoyed this. It was really tasty. I thought the volume of oil might be a bit too much, but it worked perfectly with the amount of honey that we put in. Really really subtle, but really complemented the f- the flavors of the whole dish. Brought it all together. It did. I thought that without it, um, it could have been a very different dish. It really did add some pop to the taste. Uh, again, fun to make as well. And yeah, I think just to kind of include that in the dish really added to the flavour. Um, for me as well, the mentioned previously, the kale was definitely the nicest kale I've ever had. It can be bitter, um, but this was fantastic. I think towards the end of the dish, Amy started and might be a little bit of um, uh, annoyance on her part, but she did get a little bit sick of the uh, pomegranate seeds, funnily enough. It was just a little bit too sweet. Um, so that was feedback from Amy. But I loved it. I really enjoyed the dish. I would happily cook it again. Um, yeah. And I, I don't think there's anything I would do differently, perhaps. Um, how about you? I think where you mentioned the sweetness of the pomegranate seeds, because we had ours regrettably in the the plastic tub, um, so for again laziness as well. Um, I wonder if I'd gone the extra extra mile and extracted the seeds from the pomegranate and risked losing an eye. I would have had again. It would have been much sweeter, but I think how the pomegranates were on the essentially the pre-removed pomegranate seeds, I think it was a nice subtle sweetness. Now I've got quite a sweet tooth, but I didn't think this was overly sweet. But as you said, without the dressing, this would have been potentially quite a bland dish. And on the subject of the kale, I think blanching the asparagus first and then chucking the kale in the asparagus water, salt water, and then quickly tipping it under cold water and then leaving it to dry. I don't have a salad spinner, like it suggested, so I just left <laughs> it in a colander no. and squeezed out the remaining um, water from the kale. But I think normally when I've had kale in the past, as you said, I've just had it raw and it's been quite bitter. I think that two minutes of just boil it, blanching it and then chucking it under cold water really, really added to it. it. As I said, it wasn't unpleasant, and I think the slight hint of bitterness, the sweetness of the dressing, the saltiness of the halloumi, combination of flavours worked really well. I think I would use the dressing again. I'd definitely eat this again. I'd definitely replace a quinoa with couscous. <laughs> yep, that's fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would as well. I really enjoyed the uh, the whole uh, dish. Um, I would cook it again. I perhaps wouldn't let Amy do the pomegranate again, just in case uh, she loses an eye. Um, but other than that, no, really good dish. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was a bit worried. I was, to be honest, but through the whole process, so I was a bit worried that I might have uh, ruined your experience of it, obviously, with choosing a dish with quinoa. Um, but, you know, we've discussed off the pod as well. That's part of the experience, isn't it? Kind of trying things that might be a little bit out of your comfort zone. Um, so, you know, 
happily maybe push me out of my comfort zone uh, with a dish as well in the future, Stu, then we're even. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I do feel bad that I, I essentially buckled uh, from the quinoa. I, I, I think that we've said before that with these food experiences, people say it takes about 10 years to get over it. I'm only four years into quinoa gate, so I'm not close to trying it again in the future, but maybe this will be a time where I get my, my assistant to either Harriet or, or Leanne to cook this, cook the quinoa while I'm out, that has time for the cooking smell to dissipate and then add it to my, uh, to my meal choice. But I think the thing about this dish, which I like the most, it was really, really fresh. You know, sometimes we get dishes and, or even if you make a salad, it's like, ugh, it's all right. I think because we bought bought seasonal, I think it was it's the flavour that came through. But also, you know, shout out to Simon on Twitter, who also, you know, diversified the recipe a bit and had a bit of salmon with his as well. Less halloumi, a bit more salmon. I thought that's another way to really bulk out this this dish as well, because I would probably eat this again, but as a lunch rather than a dinner. Because um, I, I found I was a little bit hungry later that evening for eating this, but I think adding the salmon to it would have really um, bulked it out a bit. Yeah, and I imagine salmon with this dish in particular would go really well with that, including the dressing as well. Uh, so, yeah, big shout out to Simon on that one. Um, but have you sort of moving on from the dish now and moving into a little bit about seasonality and buying in season? Uh, have you sort of considered this before too much? Not really. I think I think maybe subconsciously I do it anyway because we're quite lucky where we are. We've got a lovely farm shop up at Quex Barn. So anything that's in their fruit or veg sort of outdoor area is what we have. You know, if, if we're going to go and buy stuff like that, it's what's there and we buy it and, and we do it. So again, maybe subconsciously we always buy seasonal when we go there. But it's not something I've ever considered to actually base my cooking specifically over what is in season. I We sort of have, again, maybe subconsciously. Um, and again, it's very much driven by Amy's enthusiasm to buy uh, seasonally. And of course, um, I'm very much willing to support that as well. But there are benefits as well to this um such as you know if you were to buy uh fruits and vegetables in season um they are good for you so food in season contains uh, nutrients minerals uh, and trace elements that our bodies need at particular times of year as well so um which i thought was a really interesting take on things because there's certain things that the body's going to need at different times of year that uh, we can actually get from our food if we were to buy when they're growing in season. Um, so it's health benefits too. Um, and also kind of looking at the nature cycle as well. I think that's a really important thing that we've lost touch with um, just as a society. We don't really know. All we see is the food in the supermarket or on our plate. We don't really know anymore where it's come from and when it should be grown. Um, and that's, you know, we're very lucky to have that privilege. But I think to be able to kind of reconnect with that a little bit and look at when um, foods are in season, get a bit more of an idea of when they should be grown, where they come from. Um, you know, in that way also, you end up having a tremendously sort of diverse um, type of food as well 
uh, month in, month out, because you won't be eating the same thing that you ate uh, perhaps in November, December, compared to what you might be eating in April. So it's almost something to look forward to. Um, so I don't know, for example, in December, we all enjoy a sprout. That's their, their, their growing time is around that time. Um, and that's when they're at their best. Um, I mean, not everyone loves sprouts, do they? I mean, what's your take on a sprouts, Stu? Yeah, sprouts are nice, again, if you buy fresh and yes. local and organic. So I think if you buy the mass-produced ones, you are you are definitely getting what... If you buy quality of sprouts, you're going to get a better flavour. I historically... Um, at Christmas when we come to sprouts though I tend to dice my sprouts and fry them with lardons as one of the the side dishes as well as pigs in blankets nice. you know love a heart attack <laughs> <laughs> yeah everyone loves a bit of bacon with their sprouts that's what we do as well um we tried chestnuts as well in with sprouts last year that was a nice touch um but also food in season um is cheaper as well because you're not having to transport it a long way so we've talked about this in the past um, transportation of food and the CO2 impacts that this has on the on the food product as well. Um, so if you're buying, so in this week's dish, we had asparagus. Asparagus actually is flown in from South America, I think, um, which obviously impacts on CO2 emissions. Um, and also because it's traveled so far, it's not always going to be out as fresh as either. Um, but also just going back to my original point, it's a little bit cheaper too because you're not having to pay for that additional sort of hidden cost for for travel um you know and it's like it is a little bit silly when you might see uh, in shops that and something to bear in mind when you go into shops when you're buying apples you can buy them um you can buy them british all year round pretty much um but they're in you know you see them from new zealand or france or what have you so you know, always try to have this in the back of your mind if you're shopping just try buy British, um, and again try buy in season. And if you're looking for sort of seasonal veg, we've mentioned some recipes that have appeared on the um, the BBC uh, Good Food website, and they've got a nice list which I just got up on my uh, on my phone. So they they mentioned that May, as we you know we're recording this on the last day of April. May is the dream when it comes to seasonal produce because obviously we're sandwiched between spring and summer. You get plenty of fresh greens, especially if you're starting to grow these in the garden. So you get things like pak choy, cucumbers are going to start coming through, lambs, lettuce, potatoes. But down the list of ingredients for in season in May, obviously as we've had in our, our dish of the recipe of the week uh, for buying seeds, we've got asparagus and radishes have all uh, have popped up. But also on this list, you've got broad beans, carrots, cauliflower, elderflower, peas, rhubarb, rocket spring onions, watercress, and wild garlic. And here's the thing as well. And again, I know this is um, a little bit um, out of left field through what we're, we're talking about here. But wild garlic, in as opposed to just the standard little garlic bulbs you buy in the supermarket or buying the pre-cut lazy garlic, Oh, it's incredible what you can do with like freshly sourced wild garlic. So the fact that we're heading into May, I'm going to make sure that I find a dish which has an element of wild garlic in at some point in May. But linking on to that and obviously seasonal food and things to consider. So heading into May, um, there's actually a couple of important food dates 
uh, as we're heading into that. So the 19th to the 26th of May is British Sandwich Week. So I love yeah. a sandwich. And if you're getting yourself your earthen wheat box and you get some bread in there, off to the races with Sandwich Week. But then it leads to this. And this might be a pipe dream, Matt, but I'm going to go and try and suggest it. Get, re- get ready for both bravery and hopefully reason for celebration. Starting on the 27th of May to the 2nd of June, it is National Barbecue Week. Ah, I think now, I know where you're going for this. this is <laughs> now, I'm going to be brave and I'm going to suggest that during National Barbecue Week, we have a barbecue because we can be outside. We can socialise outside. We have a barbecue and we'll basically do a That Food Podcast barbecue special where we will nice. not only cook lots of stuff on a barbecue, we will also record a podcast in person together in the garden. Let's do National Barbecue Week special of That Food Podcast. Amazing. I'm all in. That sounds fantastic. And it'd be so good to see you in person again as well. And you know, we can or we will be able to soon do that safely. So I'm really looking forward to that, Stu. Great idea. And on top of that, I'm thinking we will also, as part of our barbecue special, we will do meat versus vegan on the barbecue. Oh, excellent idea. Really, really good. Be really good to see how that matches up. Because wouldn't it be interesting if you couldn't even tell the difference do we do a blind test perhaps for some of it i think we're going to do some blind testing with this i'm also going to be interested in the integrity of the meat because simon said when we had our bean our tom carriage uh, spicy mexican bean burgers and we commented that the texture just crumbled away i'm gonna because obviously no one wants that on a barbecue you don't want to sit there be cooking over the coals and have half of your burger just fall in so I'm going to be interested in the strudgel, the strudgel, the structural integrity of our vegan burgers. I think maybe cook and do a blind test. So we can do the cooking, maybe get Amy and Leanne to do the uh, setups and the blind testings if they, unless they want to be the subjects. You know, we'll we can. Sh- I'm sure we can sort this nearer the time if they'd like to be the ones to gauge which is meat and which is uh, vegan. I'll obviously buy some more microphones so they can join in. They'll hate Good it. Idea. <laughs> <laughs> But if they want they a barbecue, will. they've got to join in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't join in. No food for you, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so that's obviously going to happen later in May. And I, if there's anything uh, from a barbecue standpoint uh, that you've got recommendations for that you think we should cook for our barbecue special on That Food Podcast, uh, let us know. Get in contact with us on our social media platforms at That Food Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Now... We've spoken a lot about buying seasonal. We've spoken a little bit about uh, going meat-free. We've spoken a little about healthy food. Does your dish fall into any of those categories this week? My dish this week, I sort of falls into uh, being environmentally conscious. But my dish this week, I believe, is going to have the highest calorific value that we've had so far on this podcast. Well, so, it's a good, good job I'm bulking again. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be the right type of bulking, though, uh, to be completely <laughs> honest with you. So, um, as a little bit of a spoiler from my unboxing of my earthen wheat box, I received quite a lot of crumpets. 
Yes, I did see that. Didn't you have like 24 crumpets or something? I did have 24 crumpets. And That's a lot I li- of crumpets. Ah, but I like crumpets. I, I like crumpets with Marmite and cheese. I like crumpets. Uh, we I Basically, crumpets of anything is very, very tasty. Oh, yeah. I, I don't disagree. They are good. Very good. However, and I know this is not going to be a uh, an exciting thing for some of our listeners who don't really like puddings, but this week's recipe of the week is going to be a maple and pecan crumpet bread and butter pudding. <laughs> yes. Uh, I can tell you now this is going to be fantastic. Well, I really look forward to this. Just to give you a, <laughs> a little list of the nutritional information. So calories per serving, 819. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> grams of fat, 51.5 grams. Wow, of which okay. saturates 23.5 grams. If you're looking for carbs, if you're carb loading, 74.1 grams. <laughs> <laughs> of which sugars, 36.9 grams. Okay. So That's, uh, that's heavy. <laughs> it, it is, but yeah, this is supposed to serve eight people. I, I don't think you're going to need to have as big a servings as this as we go. So... We've got eggs, caster sugar, whole milk, double cream, maple syrup, butter, pecans, crumpets. How they've calculated, realistically, like looking at this, how they've calculated that volume, that calorific volume, I'm going to be interested to see. I'm going to probably run it through my fitness pal when I, when I cook it. But that is going to be this week's recipe of the week. We're doing maple, maple and pecan crumpet bread and butter pudding. Sounds like a really fun recipe and... As much as we are health conscious, we do enjoy pudding and we do love crumpets. So this is going to be a good one, I can tell. What what a lovely... And also anything with maple syrup in. I mean, the carbon footprint of this dish is going to be atrocious. The health impact is going to be atrocious. Nothing local. <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we might have to, um, I don't know avoid driving our cars or plant a few trees to make up for it this week then (laughs) it's 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 going to be incredible i just thought you know i i can freeze my crumpets and that's fine so to be fair as a family we've already got through quite a large number of the crumpets we're going to be making um some other dishes with the bits that we've got in our earth and wheat box uh this fortnight but i just thought i genuinely have never had a bread and butter pudding from memory and it's always been something that I've really wanted to try. But then I thought, I wonder if there are any recipes out there you replacing the bread with the crumpets. So now I get sort of the best of both worlds because, you know, everyone loves a good pud. And as it's a bank holiday weekend here in the UK, our May Day bank holiday weekend, I thought it'd be quite nice to cook over the weekend and have a little, little bit of a treat over the uh, over the bank holiday. Lovely. That sounds ideal. Um and yeah, a really good way for you to use up your uh, crumpets from Earth and Wheat. So we are touching on some of the subjects that we've done in the past, not to waste food. Um, and yeah, again, just sounds like a really fun, really tasty recipe, uh, which I'm very much looking forward to getting my teeth into. I, I love the fact that they try to justify, <laughs> justify the purpose <laughs> of the pudding. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. <laughs> I, I do have one thing to finish off with, though, um, as a little bit of a body guy project update before oh yeah yes please so we've mentioned in the past about zero or low sugar drinks versus full fat drinks i've noticed something quite interesting since i've been doing my body guy stuff and i've done this for two weeks 
just to see the impact of diet drinks. So as I look across at my desk, I have a, an empty tin of Fanta Zero. Um, again, from a calorific value, it's 10 calories a tin, zero, zero grams fat, zero grams saturates, 1.7 grams sugar, zero grams salt. I have found that my hunger levels after drinking a diet fizzy drink are huge. All I want to do after drinking a can of diet drink is just eat, 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 eat. And I don't think, and because I, I thought to start with, oh, maybe it's just because, you know, how I'm working out, maybe I'm a bit tired, maybe I'm just, I've got this sweeteners in here, so it's making me crave more things. Because interestingly, before this, and again, I know it's not uh, a fair, uh, an overly fair example, because I said I've been doing this fizzy drink thing for, for two weeks. I did five days on full fat regular cola. So I had a can of cola for each of those five days as a, essentially a treat, just to see how I could get on with having a, a sugary drink every day. And obviously, I don't want to drink sugary drinks every day. That would be a nightmare. Um, but I thought, well, I'll do this for part of the week and I'll do the diet drinks. Um, as we go on the sugary full fat coke had the drink absolutely fine didn't have any hunger was like that's a very nice treat excellent but the diet drink the zero fanta every time i drink it it's incredible my it just almost, almost instantly just kicks in i need to eat and i get really hungry and then all i focus on is well i'm really hungry i'm really hungry Trying to concentrate at work after having a can of diet drink if you don't then go and eat. Man, it, it's blowing my mind. And I don't know if I've just got it in my mind now that this is what happens. But for the last 10 days, that's what's happened. So any form of weight loss has potentially turned into a bit of weight gain because then I have to go and eat something to get it off my brain. It's, in, it's incredible. I'm, I'm wondering what the sort of mechanism behind that is. Is it something in the... In a drink, maybe like a sweetener or some chemical that makes you think you're hungrier than you actually are or something? Do you have any theory on this? I can only imagine it's a chemical in there and it's an element of the sweetener. It must be something in the sweetener that just leaves you wanting more. Because as we've mentioned in the pod before, I've got a bit of a sweet tooth. So having this pudding <laughs> for the next week's recipe of the week is going to be great. Uh, did, oh, did you choose this dish whilst you were hungry after <laughs> a can no, of Panta Zero? <laughs> sadly oh, not. The, the truth comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Originally, it was just going to be nothing but mushroom in a mushroom on a mushroom. As yeah, yeah. From the quinoa. <laughs> but, um, the Panta Zero changed my mind. But I t there must be something in it because... The same thing used to happen. I tried to think back to when I worked for my previous software company back in the mid-2010s. And sometimes I'd go to our little um, tuck box that they had in the software thing and I'd get myself a can of Coke Zero. And I'd drink the Coke Zero and then I'd feel hungry but also really bloated. And, sort of and the same thing happens with the Fanta Zero. Yet with the full-fat soft drink... And the, not, this is the same thing that if I drink full-fat Fanta, full-fat Coke, I don't get bloated drinking that. Obviously, if I drank loads and loads and loads and loads, obviously you would because you've got so much carbon dioxide in there from the bubbles, a little bit of the bubbly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I don't know now if it's just in my mind that I, I've now linked it to hunger. I drink a can of Diet Fizzy 
I therefore become hungry, and my brain is now trying to think that's what happens. But I just found it really interesting. So whilst I don't want to keep doing it, today was my last can of uh, Fanta Zero. From tomorrow, I'm going to go back to an, a couple of days of full-fat drinks. I think I'm going to go to full-fat Fanta, just to make sure it's nothing in Fanta, and see if I get the same impact. And I'll report back on next week's pod. I look forward to seeing a difference, if any. Um, you know, it feels like this is our first um, scientific research project uh, for that food podcast, doesn't it? Um, proper research. And then I want to see your evidence and uh, findings next week. Well, I can give you the evidence. I still don't have abs. <laughs> 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 and, and after this week's pudding, I definitely won't have abs. <laughs> no, no, I don't think uh, we will for a long time after that one. But again, I am looking forward to that. Awesome. So if you've got any views on uh, diet sodas making you hungry, uh, if you want to complain about such high calorific values of this week's recipe of the week, uh, let us know on our social media platforms at that food pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you like what we do, please feel free to leave us a five star review on your podcast app of preference. It really does help people discover us, find us, help us in the rankings and um, helps get our very friendly little little pod that could out to more ears yeah we appreciate any interaction and those five stars really do help on the podcast app of your choice because we are an independent podcast and uh you know we're just doing this thing because we enjoy doing it so if you can help us out we'd much appreciate it i'm very excited to go and start planning for our barbecue special Yes, bring on the barbecue. I'm going to bring a, uh, a chef's apron round and <laughs> get the... Uh, yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to that, mate. Really good idea. Um, and yeah, thanks, guys. We will see you next week um, when we discuss how fat did we get <laughs> after, after choose choice of pudding. So thank you, guys. See you next week. <laughs>